And welcome to the Plant a Trillion Tree podcast. I'm Eva Monheim. And I'm Hal Rosner. We're both certified arborists, credentialed by the International Society of Arboriculture. The purpose of our podcast is to encourage tree planting and proper tree care for our urban forest, which includes neighborhoods, parks, and other open space. We'll also cover the importance of the already existing tree cover and the benefits. So welcome, everybody. Thanks for joining us. This podcast is being recorded on April 22nd, 2022. Ian Hano is a trees and technology loving entrepreneur with 20 years of private sector experience. He earned a BS in forest management and GIS from Colorado State University and founded Planet Geo in 2012. Ian is a thought leader in software design and geospatial analysis for urban forestry, green infrastructure, parks, and ecosystem services. He has led hundreds of projects with clients in government, nonprofits, and the private sector. At Planet Geo, Ian directs overall operations, management, strategic partnerships, and vision. He plays a hands-on role in the roadmap for the tree plotter suite of software and related technology innovation. In 2011, the Society of Municipal Arborists honored Ian with an award for innovation in tree planting prioritization using GIS. He lives in Colorado with his wife and two children where he has summited all 54 mountains over 14,000 feet. Welcome to the Planet Trillion Trees podcast, Ian. We're delighted you could be with us today. Well, I'm thrilled to be here. It's, uh, I've been listening to several of the podcasts recently to prepare and uh, very excited to join and hopefully contribute to the, the audience you have. And I just uh, commend you for you know, having the podcast and sticking to it and sharing so much important information. We are so in awe of your company. I know that I've had some experience taking some classes with your company at the Pennsylvania Horticulture Society. And when I took my first class with your company, I was just overjoyed with the the latitude and the absolute expansiveness of your programs. And I wanted to find out what your initial inspiration for Planet Geo was. Well, first, thank you for saying that. It's been a long journey and, you know, a, a lot of hard work. We've, we've come a long, long way. And I think in the early days, I had so many people say to me, well, you can make a company doing that, you know, doing basically technology for trees and nature. And, you know, it's like, yeah, yeah, you, you definitely can. But it also made me think, oh, is this a good business model? Am I, am I crazy? Is this, uh, this going to be the right way to go? But, you know, you just keep your head down. And uh, yeah, we've been really fortunate to add amazing people and, over the years and just expand and expand. So, but I, I appreciate your comment, Eva. Um, yeah, I mean, really the kind of genesis of the company was to advance technology for for trees and urban forestry and, and urban nature where a lot of people don't have that, you know, ability or they don't instantly think about how to leverage technology or data. So everything we do these days, we look at 
that with a technology lens of how can we improve you know what we're doing whether it's with partnerships or data even our planning approaches things like that but yeah i just kind of felt like i'd been doing this for about 10 years prior to starting planet geo this is actually our 10 year anniversary almost almost literally right now which is super exciting and I had been doing a lot of geospatial analysis, so essentially satellite imagery and LIDAR type of assessment of uh, canopy cover in cities. I bet I had five years or more of just almost nothing but that all year long, you know, and, and built up a really great network from federal level to state to local governments and thought, you know, I think I can do this on my own and have a lot more kind of a, give myself a really long leash to just explore the things that I think are, you know, have a lot of potential. And that we started off, like I said, really heavily, can, you know, continuing to analyze and assess tree canopy cover in cities and how it's changing and um, where we can prioritize the, the work that we need to do. And then we, I knew really quickly that I didn't want to only do that, right? So within really the first couple of years, we started building our first version of tree plotter software with the goal of making GIS easy for people who, <laughs> my, my goal basically was to allow them to do GIS without knowing they're even doing GIS. Um, and I, th I think we did a pretty good job on that. And, you know, looking at all the advances in mobile technology and how we could take that and, and leverage what was going on. So, and then putting that into the hands of our own crews in the field. So we have a team that does data collection, uh, tree inventories, tree risk assessments, things like that. So that's a really core part of our business. And it's great because people, we can be a, a software as a service company with a focus still of consulting services I think our clients know that we use our own software and we depend on it and rely on it every day as well. So yeah, we have a culture really of listening to customers about what their needs are and then we can internally uh, drive what our needs are for our software products and data products. One of the things that I think of is your company uh, doing work with botanic gardens uh, because they need to map their plants. I don't know whether you have any clients yet in the botanical garden area, that always, because I, I work with um, Longwood Gardens and I work at uh, the barns at St. Joseph's University. And I think what a valuable tool it would be for your company to do institutions like that. And I know you do institutional work, but you actually are literally mapping the tree and <laughs> you're putting the tree on the map. And up until the last 20 years, trees haven't been considered in the mix in the urban setting. They have been a luxury item, if you will, not necessarily a needed plant. And so I think that your work is actually putting that in the forefront, the need, the need for trees. So I, I, wanna, I wanna find out how, how you think about making that need and giving that information to cities especially for their tree canopy uh, plans? Sure. Well, there's a lot in there to unpack, I guess. Um, we, we do have botanical garden clients, um, for, for one to your earlier comments. So I know Holden Forest and Gardens in Cleveland, for example, is one. We, uh, we have some zoos. We have golf courses that use our software. We, it's an incredibly, really diverse uh, array. So probably 40 nonprofits across uh, the, the country that use our, our software, but then of course cities and consultants and such. But yeah, so how we see the, the need, um, I mean, again, it really, we've just kind of been driving this from an innovation standpoint that it, it's just part, it's one of our core values, one of our five core values is, it, is uh, to be innovative. And um, I think sharing information more readily 
meets the expectation, right, of, of just customer service and transparency. We've been able to, you know, leverage and kind of dovetail with, say, the iTree software um, to, to make that more accessible, user-friendly. I think that's another big motive for us is just getting scientific information, you know, into people's hands more readily. So, yeah, and, I mean, how it flows into our management planning and master planning, uh, we have a specific team here that does that. Yeah, like I said earlier, we take a really technology-focused kind of lens to that, but it's, it's a really comprehensive approach. We have tools to look at the urban forest from kind of a top-down perspective, right? The, the satellite view, how is canopy cover changing? We now have new partnerships that we've brought in for tree canopy and impervious surface data. NatureQuant is another new partnership we just launched. Um, they have a, a public health and nature uh, nexus that they've really solved. And we thought part of our culture is to be very partner friendly. Uh, we can't do everything within the mission that's important to us, right? And there's other people in certain areas that are subject matter experts. Let's bring them into the fold. So now we can have these exclusive partnerships that Planet Geo can be strategically aligned to really meet the needs broadly across the community because urban forestry has changed so much in the 20 years that I've been in this space, which in a, in a very, very positive way, obviously. But um, yeah, making it just more accessible, uh, more user-friendly to explore information, to have it web applications that invite people in to click on, tap on, learn around a tree, comment, share, you know, things of that kind of nature. We just, we just love that pretty much. Um, so and it, it flows through to our, our management planning approach. We have community engagement. It's a core focus of um, our approach to st strategic urban forest plans. That could include surveys, you know, the, the online maps, I, you know, just all sorts of things where we incorporate data and technology into how we hopefully get people to realize, you know, the benefits and the, just the complete, absolute critical nature of having greening in our cities. And luckily, you know, we're not pushing a rope uphill like I felt like maybe 15 years ago. I feel like it's becoming a bit more mainstream. Right. Man, I can't get the thought out of my head uh, that one of the characters in the Overstory, the Richard Powers book, the young student from Stanford. And I feel like, uh, Ian, I'm, I'm talking to you and hearing about your company and like you say, exponential growth, rhizomorphic expansion in all different ways. Can you talk a little bit more about your partnerships? You touched on mental health and interfacing with agencies that would be able to use your data. You can share yours with them. And then the greater good and, and uh, urban population and how that could really benefit. I mean, I'm trying to visualize what these final products will look like in terms of, of the mapping, but. Sure, yeah, I mean, a, a great example, like I said, uh, is this um, new partnership that we've launched with NatureQuant. They have a couple of data sets called Nature Score and Nature Priority Index. And what these do is they accumulate 30 different data sets uh, that define nature in our cities and specifically the natural elements that yield the greatest health outcomes based on you know the scientific literature so where we're going with this in the near term probably later this year is essentially being able to incorporate scenarios and i think this this is whole kind of full circle here of the discussion but we can mainstream urban forestry in cities by clearly tying what we've all known for a long time but may not be the first thought and for other audiences and other stakeholders is that these these myriad you know benefits and services that this provides and I, I really do feel like the world is getting it more more and more recently so with nature quant uh, as one of the, the partnerships we can incorporate scenarios of urban greening in particular uh, urban forestry and look at actually modeling 
the outcomes in terms of public health in, in the communities. Uh, so of course, everybody wants to say, if I plant 100 trees, can I say that's saving people's lives, you know? Um, and, and, you know, to a degree, that's that's exactly what we're what we're doing. We're saying based on the, the, the science, these are the effects of having greater exposure to high quality nature in cities. We're not public health experts. So let's yeah. bring in experts who are in our space where they know we can leverage their data in software applications, in planning, uh, in messaging to new stakeholders, yeah. really. And hopefully the, the funding scene within urban forestry, is, it's already changing, but it's going to dramatically change the next five years um, in terms of you know equity, health, disadvantaged communities. Uh, the, the changes in the last even just two to three years have been really exciting. The negative health clusters that are found by the medical profession can actually be pinpointed on a map which is what I love about the company, that you can pinpoint that health issue on the map and target, specifically target those regions for planting trees and other health initiatives that can, can benefit the community that, that you know, was targeted. And I think that that's one of the really wonderful um, benefits of your company. So you talk about that partnership. I know Hallie asked you what other partnerships um, but how do you see yourself fitting into, for example, uh, educational institutions? Um, how how can you get more uh, college students involved in what you're doing, helping technology expand? And I'm wondering if technology is leading your company or is your company leading the technology? And it sounds like there's a, a little bit of a friction there because it might be happening in both directions. I, I certainly don't look at it as, as friction, I suppose. Um, and yeah, there's always, I don't know, competing interests and competing efforts, right? But we, like I said, we're very partner friendly. So we we look at what are, are other people doing and how can we leverage that? So I think with schools, that's something I'm personally very, you know, passionate about. I was just visiting in January, one of our clients, Amigos de los Rios in Los Angeles, and they work with a lot of schools. And it was just really exciting to see how they're using our tree plotter inventory software to uh, collect all the the data about the school. They look at, you know, heat island impacts. They look at uh, where can we take out impervious surface area? Where can we you know, obviously uh, get more trees into the landscapes? So, you know, we're in a lot of senses, we're a little bit more indirectly involved. We're an enabler, right? Where we provide the technology, the tools, the plans uh, for our clients to really do their work on the ground. Um, so we, we have that kind of big picture impact, I, I hope, uh, in a lot of ways. So everybody at our company could have said, I want to work in my home city doing this work. One of the things we've kind of done is taken a step back and we, we enable people to do that, right? Share the information more readily to demonstrate the need, the value, and to track what they're doing. You know, monitoring is a huge part in our industry. So we have, again, back to data partners, like we have uh, EarthDefine, we're their exclusive partner. And it's the first time ever we have super high resolution tree canopy mapping for the whole country. About a year ago, we launched a subscription approach to allow cities, nonprofits, campuses to be able to see how their tree canopy covers changing. So that's been super exciting um, to really to, to launch that. We also have a global equivalent with company Husqvarna out of Sweden. They have this um, Hugsy tool, Hugsy.green, and it's a global urban greening monitoring website. It's, it's like this super low fee. And basically you get, you get this 
uh, a now you get a page on the website and you can see how your city is changing in its greenness, the health of the, of the vegetation. Definitely recommend checking that out. So we've, and again, another partnership where we, we were already in that space, but we're doing the really uh, high resolution, you know, kind of more strategic uh, and, and tactical analysis. And they're kind of doing this broader global, and you can even, com- you can go on the website and compare how cities greening is changing because they, they actually update it every single year. So it's pretty cool. But uh, yeah, I would love for us to continue and do more work on on school campuses. I was just with the uh, folks at Cal Fire uh, a couple months ago, and they were telling me about a statewide uh, project they're doing right now to assess all campuses and look at the, again, it's just, it's like one sliver, if you will, of like the urban fabric where we can all make an impact on urban greening, you know? Uh, so maybe if schools are just 1%, but that's a, that's a 1% where you're impacting people at, at, a, at an important age. And I think to one of your questions too, Eva, or part of your question also, we actually have a version of our software called Tree Plotter University. Um, we've never really put substantial resources into it. And it's something that's kind of always on our roadmap is when do we want to really ramp this up? But it's for professors to use with students. So they learn how to, they learn the basics of GPS, how to do GIS on their smartphone. They're already very good on their smartphones. So basically how to do tree inventories and then put that information into management plans. That's definitely something that we've, we've had around for a few years. We've had some schools use that for urban forestry, uh, but we, we really want to, uh, to expand upon that. One question I have to ask, and then of course this is Hal Rosner with his personal agenda, uh, but I suspect <laughs> that Tree Plotter has a, a mechanism to capture what's not there. In other words, uh, the few inventories that I've been involved with, it was always, you know, walk up to the oak, measure the oak. Is Does Tree Plotter do that in terms of saying, um, obviously there was a tree right here, can we enter that data field and say, plant a hackberry in this vacant tree spot? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the tree plotter, I've said this for probably almost 10 years, is a mobile GIS tool that's highly configurable for just about anything. And, you know, Inherently, it's, it's just a, it's a data collector. It's a data management tool, data analysis tool. So I, I, a good portion of our clients use it for exactly what you said, Hal. They go out and assess. They could, they could expose us to the public. You know, where, where would you like to see more trees planted? Um, it could be done by professionals. It could be done by citizen forester programs. That's very common as well. I mean, we really, our, our support team enables these um, different login levels or like permissions, you know, mm-hmm. so you can have a really basic experience of entering a tree into the map, but it could be a tree or it, to your point, it could be a, uh, an available planting site and you can put in any information you want. Um, and again, one of the, one of the interesting things is let's, let's take like nature quant data. Really, it's a prioritization. It's showing you where there's a gaps in nature in your cities, or it's showing maybe the socioeconomic variables. Um, so it comes with 17 different, what they call it the area deprivation index, but but yeah, you, you like they have, they have an app, a free app that comes with it called Nature Dose. And what Nature Dose does is you have to enable it on your phone and say that you'll allow it to track your location. But it will tell you your exposure, meaning your access to nature as you go about your day or your week. You can set goals so you can tell if you've had a week of um, nothing but being in, in the pavement versus in more natural areas that have ties to good public health improvements. So what I really, where I'm going with this is 
somebody can have these underlying data sets looking at where we really need to make these improvements in our communities for kind of more you know equitable distribution of, of green space and urban forest canopy. Well, that kind of data could be used by our clients to say, here's where we really want you to go focus. Tell us where you'd like to see more trees. So again, bringing data into a tool and, and creating these kind of uh, opportunities. One of the things that I think is so fascinating about what your company is doing is that you are open to any new technology that's coming along to enhance whatever you're doing. And you're not a closed system where this is what we have and this is all we do. Um, The idea of being open is like a tree growing. You allow yourself to grow with whatever is available to make your work better, easier, and more beneficial to everyone. So that's kind of an interesting model. Not all companies are that way. What kind of background do you have in business that kind of led you down this path? (laughs) I have... 20 years of experience in business and that's, that's it. I, <laughs> I don't have any, uh, you know, other than, you know, some courses in college is just very generic. Um, no, it's all, it's all just learned on the street, if you will. Uh, I mean, we're, we're about 40 people now total. Uh, so, you know, compared to six, seven, eight years ago, I have a lot more resources at my disposal <laughs> in terms of uh, business and, and so forth. But yeah, I, it's just been very natural for me, I guess, to just develop relationships, to nurture those to maintain them, uh, look for what the opportunities are. I tell our people to just listen and learn and be a resource, you know, uh, first and foremost, and um, that it'll, it'll come back to you in terms of people that just want to work with you in that, in that sense. Um, I, I think I'm just naturally inclined to be really open to, to what else is out there. We have a lot of international uh, software distributors as well, 10 right now. Um, so that's been really exciting. That's a program I launched in 2018, uh, starting in Australia and then the UK and now some in, in, in other, other countries as well. You know, and it, they're, they do things differently, right? So that's been really fun is to see how urban forestry and tree care uh, operations are different in other countries. Um, where are we ahead in the U.S.? Where are they ahead in some respects and in different countries? Uh, what what standards do they use for data collection for work? You know, work operations. How are they? Yeah, how are they structured in terms of their you know municipal operations or getting trees from nurseries into the ground? You know, so I I just love that, and we get to have that exposure. It creates plenty of challenges. Don't get me wrong. Uh, to try to meet you know develop tools and the right kind of data to drive urban greening when the changes are, when there's different changes of how they do things differently in other countries. But uh, yeah, it's also really exciting at the same time, so. And when a company calls Planet Geo to assist with inventory work and uh, uh, assessment evaluation of canopy, is it as simple as St. Paul, Minnesota saying, hey, we've heard about you, we wanna work with you and, and it, progresses and you collect the data and turn it over to them. And I guess the side comment real quick is it strikes me that some cities, and I'm going to show a Midwestern bias here, you know, okay, Milwaukee, you know, there there's cities that continuously are reaching out and want to maintain and revitalize and keep things active. Whereas a couple of these East Coast cities feels like we're lagging, you know, and the, the data that's been collected, the mapping that we've seen, you know, we're up against some really tough situations. And I guess, is there a way that 
cities that are basically struggling to stay fiscally viable to still take that data? Has it crossed your mind on how you would want how a city could innovate when they're really struggling with minimal canopy? Yeah, it's a challenge. Um, so maybe you could expand how first on, on that when you say about in the Northeast, for example, some, you know, you don't have to be specific, but, you know, when you say that they're, they're struggling, maybe what, what's the contrast between there and the, and the Midwest that it might help me expand? Oh, well, I think from a pragmatic standpoint, I'm a Chicagoan. I grew up with these big, nice parkways on all our, our streets. The city was laid out you know, on a grid and the parkways were typically anywhere from eight to 12 feet wide. I moved to Philly in the early 80s and it's an older city. If you're gonna plant a tree in a street location, you're gonna be carving out a a three by four minimum into the sidewalk and sticking a tree in there. So right away, there's an additional expense. Yeah, yeah. And it's a city that, you know, is is struggling with its tax base and keeping services, you know, moving forward. So we know what we're up against. You know, we all of us that are in this uh, field have to put our shoulder into, into a pretty challenging task here for getting trees planted in the low-income black and brown neighborhoods. Sure, yeah. I mean, I, I do think there are a number of, I don't know, mechanisms and approaches to that. You know, I, I can't say that I've lived them and done all of them, but I can certainly tell you what, you know, what I would do and what I, what I think have been successes in other areas. I mean, for one, there is the new infrastructure bill that was, that was passed six months ago. You know, it has a lot to do with complete streets, with urban heat. So I think, again, I, I mentioned mainstreaming. That's, that's really a, a practice in our urban forest management planning and master planning team at Planet Geo to, to bring in those stakeholders and to really broaden, you know, you don't have to start with trees. Uh, it, it might be your, our end goal, but uh, and we actually put together our plans uh, in, in ways that align with, and I hope this addresses your question, but we, we, we yeah. mirror some parts of our plans so that they actually look more similar to how climate action plans are developed. So there's sort of these action priorities and within that you have your goals, actions, targets, and metrics. Well, if we want to bring on those other stakeholders and that's how they see the world and that's how they see the planning approach, we can do the same thing with you know, urban forest plans. So I think you know, within city forestry departments, yes, they are, I think, in, in general, getting more support and more funding. Uh, I know here in Arvada, Colorado, a suburb of Denver where I live, um, I just was in an, an event with our city forestry folks, and they, they said they're getting requests from other departments related to basically filling in tree equity um, and, and the heat, uh, you know, heat mitigation issues. So coming from that angle certainly brings in new stakeholders, new funding, new appreciation. I I would also say that the management planning or master planning approach, uh, it it puts you, puts cities on a path to whether it's the approach we, the the framework that we use or, or others, You, you know, we, we look at benchmarking communities. So, how does our community compare to other communities in terms of their, their population, their affluency, their diversity, equity, and their canopy? And you know, how are they, what's their capacity for urban forestry? So that, that the actual process with plans is just incredibly important to put you on that successful path towards uh, new partnerships, new stakeholders, leveraging you know, public-private kind of relationships um, to get more work done in the areas that it's needed. So you know, those are certainly some things that I would do. 
we've definitely had other projects, canopy assessment projects, where we've been able to come back and present, you know, a, a report showing how the canopy is changing, where the gaps are, where the opportunities are, and having that be this piece of the story and making that also kind of interactive with like online maps to explore that and engage other people in conversations about, you know, look at all the opportunities we have, look at how we compare to other cities and what they're doing. Uh, you know, no mayor wants to be far behind. They want to get reelected in some of that. So uh, those are just a few things that come to mind. Yeah, that's good stuff. That's good stuff. Uh, there's also, you know, uh, another one that comes to mind, I mean, is, is really like uh, you guys have, I think, had at least one, one or two presenters on urban wood use. There's some really interesting stuff going on right now in terms of funding urban forestry programs based on low, uh, high volume, low quality and uh, uh, material. So like Cambium Carbon um, is doing this. There's a few other organizations that, that look really exciting, but, um, you know, biochar and the value that it brings. So there's some other interesting ways to start funding urban forestry. And the other one that I didn't specifically mention is really just carbon credits and carbon verification. So again, from our perspective, what we try to do, one, we bring that into the management planning process, right? Because we have actions and recommendations. Ultimately, it's up to the community to work with us to determine what goes into the final plan and to get that in front of city council. But another technique that our role in urban greening, including the funding side, right? Because we're not we're not lobbyists. We're not, we don't, right. we don't take, yeah. you know, that's not, it's not our role, but we can take technology. So for example, Trees Forever is a uh, nonprofit in the Illinois, Iowa area. We met with them a couple months ago. They've been a tree plotter client for a while to, to track all of their tree planting. Well, they're also working with city forest credits. You're probably familiar with that model. Um, basically what they want to do, what we can enable them to do is more easily track and monitor the health of the trees they plant so that they can do the verification process to then get the financial credits uh, that's part of that business model. So um, I've seen several articles on that recently, uh, but it seems like you know it's starting to come together and become more mature. So again, our role can be making that really easy on your smartphone, picture you know a, a few data fields for your inspection, and boom, here's your report, here's our 2020 one planting verification, you know, a year later or five years later. You could track those trees and their age and their health, and then you can uh, decide on how, if they need to come down, how they're going to be used afterwards so that there's a, a line already developed. I know the Urban uh, Wood Network does that in their communities. That's the one that came out of Wisconsin and Michigan after the Emerald Ash Borer. We've had them on. And, you know, it's amazing if you can, if you have a, a, a stream for that to go into, that stream is going to continue to move forward and, and grow as the trees are removed because of Tornadoes, for example, we just had a tornado here and the trees were harvested, some of them, not all of them. They were harvested for urban wood classification going into the sawmills so that there's always some, some way to track that information. And I think, again, going back to your company and, and the technology that you have and the partners that you have, it makes it easier and easier to be able to follow that and follow from birth to death, if you will. Right, right. I was just thinking too, um, Hal, in terms of funding, two, two quick things. One, we, we wrote a, a blog article probably two to three months ago um, about funding urban forestry. So that's a really good resource. We have this 
page on our website called the resource library and you can filter mm-hmm. you can filter and search by all kinds of good stuff another one that comes to mind we did this uh, survey with Fremont California in their management plan and I remember one of our folks telling me they in the survey the public survey that they did uh, we actually paid a company externally for this like really rigorous statistically valid survey when the results came in there was 66 percent support for use of gas tax towards urban forestry. Uh, and it was incorporated into the management plan. That's another good example of letting the public drive what they think, not only the, the values of the urban forest and the direction they'd like to see the canopy, but what the, some of the funding opportunities that they would support are. That is really fabulous. Right. Can I just back you up? You mentioned a company. Uh, I just want clarification that started with Cambium. Oh, sure. Yeah. Ben Christensen uh, with Cambium Carbon. Cambium Carbon. Yeah. Yeah, they're doing some really, it's really exciting uh, model in terms of connecting the wood supply uh, with processors. So it's a very local economy driven approach. Just wondering also, have you done work with nurseries? I, I sometimes wonder if the nursery industry will be able in, in the States to keep up with demand. Yeah, it's it's a challenge for sure. Other than attending a ton of conferences in tree care and urban forestry for 20 years. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I personally, in fact, one of your, one of your um, podcasts with, uh, with Joe Hansen, um, I, re- I really enjoy because right. you talked quite a bit about, about tree nurseries and this, this issue. I think it's been around for a long time in terms of, you know, meeting the diversity needs that we have. And so many entities, I feel like maybe it's just because I live, you know, eat, sleep, breathe this every day, but they, they need more, more trees for cities. Now, cities are also creating their own nurseries, which isn't completely new, but I think there's there's almost like a, a new reinvigorated uh, realization that that's also an, a really important part of kind of direct control over um, your own stock. But it comes up, I'll put it this way, it comes up on some of our like quarterly strategic sort of roadmap type of conversations. How do we integrate in some way or another with nurseries to uh, approach that part of the problem. So, but it, it, I would say it's, they're also a stakeholder occasionally in some of our management plans, master plans. We, we do like to bring in, you know, private consultants, tree care companies. So they may be reflecting some of these issues that need to go into what the, what the recommendations are for plans. But it's, yeah, it's not something directly we've done a lot of work with, I would say. Would you also say that um, your mapping strategies would be fabulous for nurseries? Because if they had a mapping system, not, I, don't, I know that they know where everything is, but having an actual mapping system that they could send out to, to clients so that people could actually see the canopy size of, of a tree before it comes to them. And that could fill that hole that Hal was talking about earlier in the urban environment. Hey, you know, so-and-so has trees that have the perfect canopy size that we need to fill this gap. And that might be another way for nurseries to sell their products too. And then I think that they, the nursery trade seems to be always on the fringe rather than in the middle of the stream. I agree. And yeah. I love nursery people because they're, they have such great thought processes and we've had quite a number of nursery people on, but it seems like they're, they're always along the stream rather than in the stream. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think they have their own inventories. Like I was just at one of our larger nurseries um, I don't know, three weeks ago. I had to give a, I gave a presentation at a parks conference and I said, oh, I'm going to drive right by the, the tree farm. And uh, I, you know, I don't know if you know what a staghorn sumac is, but in oh, color. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Okay. yeah. It's just a, it's 
I mean, it's a really hardy, what, 20, 25 foot tall kind of tree, super cool colors. You know, I've been wanting one for a long time. So three weeks ago, I knew I was going to drive by the tree farm and I, I picked one up. Well, and I was, Eva, like, trust me, my mind's always on this kind of stuff, you know? So I really wanted to watch the nursery and see what they were going to do because I want to explore whether it is a good business model. Do they need each individual staghorn sumac in this case? Now, it did take them a couple extra laps on the little tractor to, like, find where they were. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about, especially if you have a big nursery. And a staghorn sumacs, God, they're one of my favorites. Um, just a fabulous plant, but oh, some people don't like them. But yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, but but finding the plants in the nursery uh, can sometimes be difficult. Oh, and it was a huge property. Like my, my daughter loves plants and um, she's not, I wouldn't say she's an urban forester necessarily, but she, she loves, you know, anything little green and plants. And I, I took this video just to show her how big the nursery is and how, how many, I mean, there must be, you know, a thousand species of plants there. So I'm definitely open. I don't know. There's so many ways we could take it. Like, do they need a direct inventory on the nursery? And would that, would they do more business? Or are there other ways we could kind of innovate with them? So for example, like tying it almost kind of blockchain style where it's, it's really like QR codes about the tree. And then maybe people want to learn more, not so much, let's say about the iTree benefits or, you know, maybe they want to learn like what's unique about this and where do I, where do I find one of these and what kind of site conditions would it be best in we actually we have a it's a little it's, it's a little out of date now we have this like custom version of tree plotter for the state of colorado um it's called the uh, colorado tree coalition and it's pretty neat because you can basically have a kiosk at a like a park that would be almost like a mini arboretum and when you get to the kiosk there's a qr code and what it does is it opens our software to the map of the trees on that lot or that property mm. um i mean it's it's literally treecollections.com. Um, we, we, we have a plan later this year to do some upgrades to this, but it's an example, I guess, Eva, about how to connect with nurseries a bit more. And I, I do think there's an opportunity. It's just well, my team already knows I have 20 ideas every week. So <laughs> it's which, which ones to invest in. So if you don't mind, I can say, I can introduce you to a couple people that are really innovative, and I think they would really appreciate talking with you about it because they're they're really um, people who are movers and shakers in the nursery industry. Yeah, no, I, I'd love that. That'd and be great. I think I think Ian, your company could assist nurseries possibly with uh, forecasting, like uh, uh, market forecasting, and saying, mm. you know, here's a half a dozen species. Uh, that you could start growing today because 16 different municipalities in the state of Colorado are going to be demanding this tree in, ten, in eight, uh, six to eight years. It's a great point. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's yeah. the kind of thing. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Lots of synergies and potential, but yeah, right. I mean, yeah, we're, we're out there engaging with and talking to and hosting, you know, tree inventory data, and we can see what trends are going on. So we, we definitely talk about what does it mean to have like way north of 10 million trees across the globe in our software? And like, how do we how do we leverage that information? So that's, a, that's another good example of that. Your tools also make it possible to map uh, other things besides trees. Isn't that correct? So you can you can map your electric lines, your gas gas lines, your water lines, and have all these on different levels of your information for like for a city. If they had you come in and the, the uh, water department can work with you and map everything that they need to map 
-hmm. And then the gas company can do the same and so on and so forth. And that's what I thought was really fascinating about your company that all this infrastructure, including trees, has to be comfortable with each other in order for everything to work to its full capacity. And I think that a lot of people might, might not know that that's available to them, that they could actually see everything on one map. They could see everything on one system. Yeah. 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 Educating, it kind of goes back to your question earlier about are we leading with technology or is technology leading us? You know, and it, and it does go both directions in some cases. But I think city foresters and, and park professionals just knowing what's capable, you know, they may not even think about these things. So one of the things you can do in our software, because it's GIS based, so you just have, like like you were saying, Eva, it's like sort of layers, right? How remember when you were asking about, can you plot a potential site for a tree? Right. One of the things we have built in is that with these layers, you could plot like a location in the map. Well, underlying, it, could, it will know because it's, we have a data layer for it, that there's actually underground utilities here. And what it'll do is it'll populate a data field in the software. So let's say, I'm kind of, this is somewhat hypothetical, but if you set it up to say, we want volunteers telling us where they want trees. You know, where do you want to see new trees in the city? Well, if it was pavement currently, you talked about that earlier, Eva, with, uh, I can't remember if it was, you know, PHS, but having to remove, con having to remove concrete, right? Yeah. So again, just think of like sort of any underlying data sets, you plop that point into the map and it can, it can just calculate whatever's underneath. It's like a trigger, you know? So, hey, this is already paved. They don't actually have to hit a drop down and say, it's paved and there's overhead power lines and there's a fire hydrant, right? Like we can actually do that because it's very spatially oriented. And that's why I think a system like yours is so beneficial because, and I, I'm not getting anything from this because I just, I just know when I see something that works, I just latch onto it. And I think that when you have a city that has 10 different departments and they could all see the same thing, it makes it easier for everyone to work efficiently and use less resources to fix problems or to do installations or to plant a tree or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. That's what I think. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, getting more people with easier access to see the information about the trees, what the con you know potential infrastructure conflicts are, things like that. Another really good example, one of the ways we're integrating the nature quant data into our system is that as you look at potential planting sites, so let's just say you put volunteers out and they go walk and they plot, 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 plot. Well, at the end of the day, we will know like what the nature score is and what's called the nature priority index. So then you can take, let's say, a thousand potential planting sites. If you only have funding for 50 or 100 of those, in the background, we've actually been telling you are there equity issues in this area, you know? Or you can go the other way around and say, well, we have this data. So instead of going to 10 neighborhoods, go to these two. Then we have the high resolution canopy data. Here's the five street blocks. We really want you to go and spend time, you know, engage people while you're doing this, uh, clearly, you know, engaging the community so that they have really a, a role and a stake in what they want to see. You know, that's going to create the best success. So yeah, we have fun with fun enabling those kinds of data sets and workflows and hopefully they make the bigger difference. I mean, ultimately that's the goal, so. I can't believe we burned through our time so quickly, Ian. Uh, you mentioned, you know, the work that volunteers can do. And then in my mind, I'm thinking with the career in arboriculture, I would love the tree care industry to be engaged with collecting data so that, 
you know, every tree that's removed somehow can be reported, whether it's a prosperous uh, outlying suburb or anything in between, because what even I talk about a lot is the tree care industry is in the habit of cut the tree down, grind the stump, and move on down the road. And why can't professional arborists be engaged in saying, hey, uh, by the way, we could just cut down three calorie pears, we ground the stump, we hope the client's going to come around and, and plant, you know, a superior hardwood or whatever. But, you know, to, to partner in that fashion as well, rather than slowly clear-cutting different communities, be it disease or weather-related events or just homeowner ignorance that says, uh, yeah, I know it's a nice oak, I still want you to cut it down. You know, there's trees get removed for all kinds of awful reasons. Yeah, yeah. It, it- I mean, your, your point about engaging with private tree care companies is something that we've been talking about m- much more the last year than what I was doing the first, say, five years of the company. So we've got, I can't give you all the secret sauce, but we've got some exciting things that we're going to be rolling out probably in the next six months that really address that. Because we realize, you know, I mean, we want to look at this holistically from all, sort of an all lands approach. So it's the community angle, the the direct city government angle of what they can do in terms of you know protection and, and planting and management. But there's the, the private sector influences so much of this. And some people probably don't realize, but almost like half of our software clients are private sector. I mean, tree care companies and consultants, uh, you know, so like ASCA uh, kind of environment. Um, and we are looking at exactly what you talked about, how is how do we engage with them as a really, you know, increasing pr- amount of our sort of portfolio of, of software clients to be able to report this and create more of an opportunity. And most of them that I talk to want to do either the right thing or they want to do something different and bigger than what they've done. Yeah. So um, yeah, but looking at wood reuse, looking at opportunities for replanting uh, where the removals occur. And then of course, there's just the, the difficult part of education on tree protection ordinances and there's still, you know, illegal removals. And I, I saw some things in DC recently uh, along those lines. So yeah, but it's something uh, I'm, I'm being a little bit vague, but yeah, it's something that we're talking about extensively and, and how we, pl- how we play a bigger role in, in, in the fact that we're engaging with these, uh, these entities. Yeah, I know, you know, we have that credential track tree risk assessment qualification, and that's all well and good. Trees can be hazardous, measure it, drill it, give the report. But I lately in my head, I I was thinking, I wish ISA could offer a credential that would be a tree canopy restoration specialist. Learn the basics to a great depth of right tree, right location, and assessing and educating your clients so that that is part of the job. The job doesn't end when the stump gets ground. The job ends when you've planted three new trees for the, the tree that went away. Right, right. It's a one-stop shop. And honestly, I mean, yeah. it's, it's more business for the private tree care company. They don't just do the removal. They do the, Absolutely. You know, they do the planting. We've worked with Milwaukee, for example, and they have about a 98, 99% stocking rate on their street trees, which is 100, I think it's 190, 190,000 street trees. And it's 99% stocked. By the way, some of their funding comes from stormwater, a, a good, a really good portion of it, uh, their stormwater. Oh. So that's a good example back to one of your questions earlier. But you know, when they, when they remove, um, they're, they're replanting in that same site or within a few feet. Um, it, it's all part of one work order, the way that they do it. So yeah, there's always, there's always approaches. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Well, we're getting to the time where we have to ask the question, and I think you already alluded to it, but we always ask our guests a favorite tree or group of trees that you have maybe a connection to, either from childhood or has a special meaning to you. Mm. It is such a tough question. It's a fun one. doesn't matter. Um, there's no wrong answer, right? Um, I remember no. on, one, on one of them, somebody already said sycamore, and I grew up in Maryland, and I just, I loved seeing their mod, their mottled bark in the in the middle of the forest because they stand out even in winter. But I, I'm going to go, um, I'm going to go beach. Just in Colorado, recently starting to plant, I think it's like European grain beach. Uh, but I, mm. I, in Maryland, I, I had my tree fort in the woods, and one of the, I had a little triangle tree fort, and one of them was a beach. And I just love, love the smooth bark. Um, that they have, because I think that's kind of a unique characteristic. So that's just one that comes to mind. But yeah, I, I won't say staghorn sumac again. <laughs> no, I think you should. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's it, of, the, of that stature, it's one of my favorites. So I, I also, yeah. we have we have golden rain tree that does really well here in Colorado. And they don't get very big, but they're they're just such a cool species. You don't see as much, so. Right, right. Well, very good. It has been a pleasure having you on our podcast and we wish you continued success in the progress of your company and it was great talking with you. I, I enjoyed it and really appreciate the opportunity and uh, applaud you guys for yeah sharing so much good information this way. Thank you. Thanks for joining us, Ian. It Thanks. was great. Very hopeful and optimistic as well. Oh, glad. Glad to hear it. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. The Planet Trillion Trees podcast is edited by Andromedan Recordings in Hollywood, California. Thank mm-hmm. you.